0: So, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all together again after a, a nice uh, summer. Uh, I'm sure that uh, all of you have many things to share in the summer's uh, events, but uh, let's hold that till later. So, we thank you for this time together. We ask your blessing on our efforts and help us to open our minds and our hearts to truly understand uh, how Christianity developed out of Judaism. And not that there is any confrontation between the two groups, but there are a number of differences, and that is what we want to explore. So we thank you for this time together. And we thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name. All right, let's begin with the program. All right, I hope you've all had an opportunity to at least, all right, in this program, I hope you've had a chance to read the cover letter, so, or the covering of it. Uh, the one thing that I want to point out in the cover of this is a statement where I say we are not going to bash uh, the Jewish people. Then, at the time of Christ, or before, or even today. That's not my intent. You're going to get a lot of that just by doing the reading that I will assign. Okay? Just to acquaint you with the time and the events that we will be discussing. But I want to have you look at the uh, inside back page here. This one here. Judaism began with Abraham. Approximately 4,000 years ago. 2,000 years since before Christ. And of course, Christ and his time was 2,000 years ago for our time. So Judaism began around 4,000 years ago with the call of Abraham. But Judaism also changed in many, many ways every approximately 500 years. Now, don't hold me right to the number of years. That is an approximation. But every five years, there was a major change in Judaism. And we will discuss that as we go along. But if you will go back to a couple more pages, these are the major events in the history of Judaism. And our whole purpose is to show you how Judaism evolved into Christianity over a period of time. And... The number of things that we retained out of Judaism and have become part of Christianity. There are a number of things that we are grateful to and are indebted to the Jewish people. Carmela, there's a couple seats up here. These, I feel, are the major events within Judaism that have some influence on Christianity. And therefore, I've divided this class into these 21 topics. I was a little amazed, uh, this is just an aside, but I was a little amazed when I later counted 21. If you think about it, in Judaism there are three very important numbers, particularly in years and in time. And that is 3, 7, and 12. But 21, of course, is divided. If you divide it by 3 or 7, you come out very equal. That is just an aside. has nothing really to do, but a it, it little surprised me. Anyways, we are going to take two or three of these events each week over the next ten weeks so that you get an idea of what <clears throat> Judaism was all about, where it came from, and how we as Christians took some of the Jewish history into Christianity. All right. So I want you to really feel that this is the... Uh, almost total of the subjects that we will be talking about. So if you feel that something is missing, look on here and you will find that it will uh, be brought up later. Now, if there are certain things that you still have questions about within any of the individual uh, classes and you think we've covered everything or you think I've covered everything but something is still missing please I enjoy your questions that doesn't mean I can answer everyone exactly to your liking but I will do the best I can and if I cannot answer it <clears throat> at least in the time frame or at the moment I will look it up and bring the answer in uh, the next week I do not like to bluff, I do not like to just throw out an uh, answer that doesn't mean much to you or will not really give you uh, what you need. Uh, that doesn't help anybody. So I'll do the best I can uh, by looking into the information and bringing it in the following uh, week. Okay. Any questions there? Uh, now, some of you may think of some other events within uh, the Old Testament that you know, is not on this list. Well, all right, let's wait until we cover that particular period of time. And, uh, you know, I couldn't bring up everything that's there. There are a lot of... <laughs> Judaism is probably the most complex and strange belief system that there could possibly be. Um, Like I said, it's changed every five years, or four, yeah, every 500 years, roughly, between the time of Abraham and the time of Christ, and even after the time of Christ, and the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, and really all of uh, Israel in the seven in 70 A.D. by the Romans. After that the Jewish people dispersed again because they dispersed one time prior to that uh, during the Babylonian uh, conquest and captivity and exile and so forth. But after the time of Christ, Judaism changed again in another five year, or 500 years or five hundred years. And we don't have time to go into that, but uh, it's still evolving in many ways. All right. The whole idea of the three majors of Judaism today, that is the Orthodox, the Reform, and uh, the Orthodox, Reform, and Conservative. All right. Okay. All right. Eventually, you know, the mind wakes up. All right. Let's let's move on to a few other things within this handout here. Uh, The next page I'm going to skip for now, but we'll come back to that this morning because that's very important. Uh, Following that is the various prophecies uh, in the Old Testament regarding Christ. Now, You've got to be careful about many of these things because I've had people say, well, with all this information, why didn't the Jewish people turn to Christ and accept Christ? Well, you've got to remember that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament had a double meaning. It had a meaning for the people at the time that the prophecy was given. And it had a meaning for people later down the, the time period. Down the road. Particularly the Christian people. Alright. But you see. The reason for the double meaning here. And they're not conflicting meanings. But is that when the prophets would speak. And talk about something. It had to have meaning to the people at the time. Otherwise he was wasting his time. Alright. Well they. The people at the time of the prophets. And the prophets only appeared. In that third period of time. On that page where. I had the four periods. They were only in the third period. And we'll explain that at a later date. But you see. Those people didn't know about Christ. They didn't understand the difference between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit world to them did not exist. The whole idea of heaven as we think of about it did not exist until much later. All right? After the Babylonian captivity... They were under the rule of the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans for over 500 years. And they realized that the promised land, Israel, that was given to us, or given to them, I should say, by God through Abraham, did not exist in that form any longer. That they were not rulers. In their own right. They were not sovereign rulers in their own right. And therefore, heaven was probably the new <coughs> promised land. Excuse me. So it wasn't until after the Babylonian captivity that the idea of mankind returning to heaven or returning to God in heaven at the end of their life or at the end of time, that didn't exist until about the latter part of the 5th century B.C. And then from that idea, once they began to realize this and accept it, Then they began to say, well, who's going to lead us into this new promised land? Such as David did. Such as some of the earlier patriarchs led the people. They needed a leader. That's the whole purpose that we'll get into in a few weeks regarding the desire for a king. (coughs) And so once they began to realize this idea of heaven being the ultimate promised land, then somebody had to lead them. And so the idea and the concept of the Messiah began to develop. All right. So, but that is much, much later in the time scheme. Is that understood? So you've got to keep some of those things in mind. And we'll get into a few others. All right. Let's let's move on. We have another uh, page here on the judges of the Old Testament. Judges in is a term that is used for people. These were not judges in the way we think of it. no robes in fancy courtrooms. okay. Uh, the judges in this particular context were simply, people who were appointed um, by Moses or later by Joshua and Caleb uh, to rule over the 12 tribes. Remember, Israel and the Jewish people right from the time of uh, Jacob were divided into 12 tribes under the 12 sons of Jacob and their families. All right. And that relationship, that structure, existed up until the 5th century or 6th century, the Babylonian captivity. Okay. And then it was pretty much destroyed at that particular time. But the judges ruled in between the time that the Jewish people got into the promised land after their sojourn in the desert and after their escape from egypt etcetera etcetera they ruled the 12 tribes for a period of time okay on the next page we have the various kings that were established After the 10th or the 9th, no, 11th century. After the 11th century B.C. Before that, they did not have kings. They had the judges. Okay. So these are, and please, I would recommend highly that you bring all of these handouts with you each week. Because we will be referring back to them occasionally. Mike? Right. All right. On the next page here we have the prophets. All the prophets. Now there are a few that this was taken from uh, one of my many books up here that I've used but this is from the Protestant uh, viewpoint and I don't agree with a couple of these here but there are 15 well there are actually 17 uh, prophets mentioned throughout the Old Testament. Two of those, Elijah and Elisha, <laughs> pardon me, um, are not considered literary prophets. They had a very important time and uh, role in God's plan, but they were not literary prophets, meaning they did not leave any writings, all right? All the rest of these, with the exception, and I'll mark these on the side. Well, it looks like I've already marked yeah. them on the side. They are Elijah, all right, Micaiah, Elisha, Odin, Halda. These are not prophets in the Catholic tradition. I'm not putting them down because Elijah and Elisha were very important. And we'll get to that later. All right, but these are interesting little schedules here that I thought uh, were important enough to add in. Okay, now, any questions so far? All right, the one thing is, uh, and I want to back up just a wee bit. All right, so uh, the three major topics of this class will be God's plan of salvation and the idea of how the Bible was constructed. And that will include what Vic just asked there. And the last one is a topic that very few people are really uh, aware of unless they know uh, the Bible very well, particularly Paul's letters. And that is that the Jewish people never develop a sense of the spirit of God. And I want to get into that in a few minutes, but I want to cover some uh, other things first. And that is the whole idea of why God made us in the first place and why he went all through this idea of setting up Judaism and eventually Christianity and how they came about. Part of the reason is explained part of the reason that we're doing this particular class is explained in this little letter up here that I talked about that I'd sent out to most people, but Unfortunately, I didn't get to everybody because I lost uh, some of the newer addresses. All right. The first thing that we have to understand when we're trying to put all of this together is that God had a plan for mankind because God being all perfect and knowing everything from beginning to end knew that if he created humanity that they were going to sin because he also wanted them to have free will. You might say, well, that's He's building a loser right to begin with. (laughs) No, 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 no. God being perfect, but he's perfect love as well as perfect justice, which we'll talk about at another time. He's perfect love. And love needs to be shared. Love cannot be bottled up. It needs to be shared. And therefore... God created mankind in order to share himself because he is perfect love. And love wants to be shared. So he developed and created mankind. But he gave mankind a free will because he didn't want robots. If mankind did not have a free will, And were created just for the purpose of loving God. And had not the capability of doing anything else. That wouldn't be quite what he was interested in. He wanted love to be given freely. So he created mankind but gave mankind a free will. Knowing that with that free will some of mankind would sin. And sin seriously. But he didn't want to stop. And just leave it there. So he had to have a plan. For those people. Who refused. Or out of fault. Or laziness. Or pride. Or whatever it might be. Who offended God. Of returning back to him. And being forgiven. Now because. When God brings people into heaven, they have to be perfect or they have to be made perfect. And that's the whole concept of purgatory. All right, Because God being perfect cannot coexist with sinful mankind. And so the whole idea is that mankind either has to accept And live by the teachings of Christ, or be made perfect through the sacrament of reconciliation, or purgatory, or both, all right, before he can re enter into heaven. Now, the whole idea of the Garden of Eden story at the time of Adam and Eve is an analogy, it is not history. It is an analogy of what mankind's uh, ideal situation would have been prior to any sin entering in. And therefore, in that story, I use the word story because uh, it is not history, but in that story, beautifully as it is, uh, Mankind was free to walk and talk and eat and live with God at free will because sin had not existed. But once sin did start with what we call the fall of Adam and Eve, again, another story, it may not have happened exactly that way, but we know that at some point in time, Mankind with a free will and weaknesses and pride are going to sin. So, sin really is what caused Adam and Eve uh, to be expelled from the Garden of Eden. Now, I've heard people say to me, well, you mean they're going to be kicked out of paradise because they ate an apple? <laughs> oh. So, again, the analogy goes that They were punished and expelled from this paradise because they disobeyed a direct command of God. That direct command was, you can eat of anything in the garden, but not this particular tree. Okay? Simple as that. And why? The simplicity was necessary for very primitive people who had no other ideas about it. You remember, before Abraham, there were all kinds of people on this earth. Not as many as there are now, thank God. Uh, but they believed in all kinds of things. Because mankind is built with a desire to know God. And to belong to God. And so, that is why in primitive societies, you had worship of anything and everything. <coughs> the Jewish people, when they first started out, their only major contact was with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians worshipped, they were pantheistic, meaning that there were, well, no, let's say they were polytheistic. Pantheistic is another thing which is, I'll talk in a minute, but, uh, polytheistic is one that are many gods. And they had uh, all kinds, you know, the sun and the moon, and they had snakes and other animals. Cat, particularly, uh, was they were gods. Well, you know, once God decided that he was going to implement his plan of salvation, he had to look for some man who believed in... The one true God who was a real person, a real spirit, and who created heaven and earth and all things. And that is how and why he chose Abraham. Abraham was not a Jew, but there weren't any other Jews at that time. Now, let me digress for just a moment. The word Jew is not derogatory. Please, the word Jew is not derogatory in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it is what they call themselves in many cases. All right, The word Jew did not come into common use until after the 6th century B.C., after the Babylonian captivity. And it came into use because when the people were released through the efforts of Cyrus the Great from Babylon to return to Israel, they returned to two of the provinces that still remained from the old tribe, the twelve tribes of Jacob. And that was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Dan in the southern part of the country of Israel. And so when they came back, they were coming back to Judaism, or to Judah, the province of Judah. And therefore, the Babylonians gave them the title of Judahites. Remember in the Acts of the Apostles on the first Pentecost Sunday, when people started to gather to celebrate the Passover, it talks about people from all over the Roman Empire at the time Judahites and Prizites and all those others. The word ites in that that time and that context meant a person from a given known territory. And so when the people were being released from Babylon to return to Israel, they came back to the province of Judah. And they were then called Judahites. That lasted for roughly 50 to 100 years. And then gradually, when the Jewish people began to accept that themselves, they shortened it from Judahites to Jew. Okay, Does that make sense? All right. So that's where the word Jew came from. And it's interesting because you will not find the word Jew in all of the Old Testament. It is not used and it's not because it wasn't uh, accepted or it was derogatory in any way. No, it was because it didn't come into use until after most of those books of the Old Testament were already written. So the only few that were written after the fifth century B.C. Uh, were Mostly the wisdom books, and we'll we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Yes. All right. The word Hebrew is really in reference to the language that they spoke. That started way back in when they were in Israel, uh, in uh, Egypt. Okay. Frankly. No one could tell me exactly how the word Hebrew started. But it is actually, a, the basic root of that word is from the Egyptian language of the time. All right? But nowadays, you have three designations. You have Israeli, or Israelite, but is Israeli. You have Hebrew, and you have Jew. All right. Israeli is the nationality. Hebrew is the language. And Jew is the faith. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. The nationality, the language, and the faith. All right. <clears throat> God's plan of salvation then began with the call of Abraham. Abraham. And it's interesting as we have talked about in previous classes that God in his infinite wisdom decided to implement this way for mankind to eventually be forgiven and eventually return to him after their time on earth and or after the end of time altogether. And it started with Abraham and his family. Everything that God did begins and everything he continues to do even now begins and is embedded into his plan of salvation. And that is the whole idea and purpose of this diagram here. God's plan of salvation begins with the call of Abraham and goes through all of this time period to establish the basics. And then Christ is given to us as part of the epitome or the apex of that particular plan, the climax of that plan. And then... Christ establishes forever the primary ingredients, you might say, of the method of returning to God and being cleansed of sin. And then the Holy Spirit picks that up and takes it back and exists through the end of time to help mankind and the church return to All mankind back to God. Now, that doesn't say, and I'm not saying, that everybody goes back to God. Because those people who have deliberately ignored the teachings of God, the teachings of the church, and have not cared about following God's laws, are not going to go back to a father the only choice they have is to be condemned all right. that sounds rather harsh cruel etc <coughs> but God has given us many warnings teachings of all kinds and you saying that's it fellas it's either my way or the highway <laughs> In a loving way, of course. God's plan of salvation is extremely important. And I don't want to overdo it and uh, dwell on it, but we've got to keep in mind that everything that God does. Now, let me give you a couple examples. You would think that after 2,000 years, of God working directly with the Jewish people through Abraham, through Moses, through uh, David, through the prophets, and the judges, and so many others, that the people would eventually return to do things his way. And you wonder, well, Why didn't God just wipe them all out like he did at the time of the flood? It's because of his love. But more importantly, this plan of salvation was not yet complete. This plan had time to go and needed to go. So therefore, God put up with the Jewish people and their refusal to be faithful to him. And he puts up with us, in a way, because he still has this plan. Yes, Christ became the key partner, you might say, in this plan. And he fulfilled the necessary requirements. But we have to partake of those blessings that... That sounds like the pearly music. I was wondering, yes, God, yes, God. I take this very seriously, but there's no reason why we can't enjoy it and have a little funny once in a while. So something like that does not bother me in the least. Okay. All right. Uh, But you would wonder, even after God giving us his divine son as the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of all mankind before, during, and after his lifetime, and people still rejecting him, you would wonder, why does God not wipe us out? And that is because he's hoping and praying that you will come to your senses and return to him but, as he has told us many times, you must come through Jesus Christ. That is the only way to return to the Father at the end of time. Okay. Right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how the Bible was developed As I've said before, many times, Judaism has changed significantly every approximately 500 years. From the time of Abraham, back in the 20th 20th century BC, and up to the time of Moses, which we estimate at about the 15th century B.C. There was no structure, there was no leadership, and there were no writings of any kind. The Jewish people, starting from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, lived according to their own tribal traditions, and knowledge, but the one thing that set them apart from all the other nations was that they believed and honored the one true God who created all mankind. The other nations, as I said, were either polytheistic or pantheistic, meaning everything was God in some way, and that still exists today in some primitive faiths. Uh, but the Jewish people held true to the one true God who created all mankind. And that remained and held them together. Now, the reason why they were sent down to Egypt at the time of Jacob was because, first of all, it was caused by the famine. But that was part of God's plan also. They were brought together because as Jacob and his 12 sons and their families began to increase and multiply, the natural thing would be for them to scatter out. How many of you came from different states other than California? And your families are scattered all over the country. And I have a daughter in San Jose, but I have a son in Maryland, you know, and that's common today. And that's common in any human group that people scatter. Well, God didn't want that because it didn't work well in developing this plan of salvation. And so He had the people migrate down Egypt, where they were accepted. In other words, he sent uh, Joseph, the son, second youngest son of Jacob, ahead uh, to work out a way to accept these people, and they were brought into Egypt as guests. They were given the best land, the land of Goshen. And they settled there and were welcomed. But after a period of several years, hundreds of years, uh, approximately 500, we're not sure, um, they were then under a different pharaoh who lost sight of the past and began to be concerned with their um, numbers and their rate of multiplication uh, and thought that if anything went wrong, the uh, Israelites, as they were known at the time, uh, would uh, overpower the Egyptians and take control. So he finally put them into slavery. All right? The whole idea of slaughtering all of the firstborn male Jewish uh, people, Jewish babies, etc., Uh, had a counterpart when uh, (coughs) Moses got the Jewish people to be released from Egypt with using the same thing. Okay, the slaughter of the firstborn male. There was sort of a balance in a way there. Um, (coughs) But that was God's plan of salvation, uh, also part of his plan. Eventually he brings those people out of Egypt and that is the cause for the celebration of the Passover that bringing out of all of the Jewish people from Egypt Uh, and that was the cause for them to celebrate and honor that on an annual basis and so they still celebrate it uh, annually at Passover with the Seder service. Now the Seder in the Jewish faith is not a uh, solemn religious type of ceremony. It is a joyous thing. Similar to our uh, day of Thanksgiving here that we're going to celebrate in November. Right. It's a very joyous thing. And it, again Celebrates a good thing. But it's interesting because. The exile. And the return of the Israelites. From Babylon. In the 6th century. Is not celebrated. Is not commemorated. By the Jewish people. Want to know why? The Egypt. Ceremony. The Egypt. Release. Was after a good thing. They had a good time in Egypt for quite a while until the Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh got spared and made them slaves. But they were there, they were there because of God's reasoning, God's purpose. The Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian exile, which only lasted less than 50 years, was because of their sin they did not understand in the beginning why god didn't protect them why did god allow the babylonians to overrun jerusalem and and uh, israel in 587 they tried in 597 bc but in 587 bc the babylonians succeeded all right, it was because of their sin and their refusal to accept the teachings of Moses. But see, they don't want to celebrate that because it reminds them of something they did wrong. So if you look at the two situations, one is a good thing and God brought them out because God had a plan and wanted to bring them up. All right. On the other hand, they were brought out only after they finally realized their faults and failures and were brought out for that uh, reason to complete or continue the development of this plan of salvation. Uh, Now, at the time of King David, uh, in the 10th century, 11th century, really towards the end of the 11th century, 10th century, the time of David or Solomon, his son. They began to realize that they had no writings up till this time. The only thing that was actually written down was the Ten Commandments that Moses had received way back 500 years before. So Moses, I mean sorry, King David or Solomon encouraged the Jewish people to start writing their history so that it would be remembered for the people that followed it after them. And so you had a group of people in Judah, and we will call those did you well well, actually they took the name of Yahweh or Yahwistic let's let's turn to that particular page it's in here somewhere this one is apparently not complete this is the one I'm looking asking you to look at now okay so a group of people in Judah and we'll call them the Yahweh after Yahweh Began to develop their histories. Now, these were the, some of the same people uh, that came out of Egypt. Okay. This is now before the Babylonian captivity. 10th century, <coughs> Southern Kingdom. They were literary artists, love stories. Her focus was on the hard, earthly, frank language. Emphasis on God's closeness with humanity. He uses the name Yahweh for God. And favors strong leaders like David. It was written at Jerusalem to show the promises uh, made to Abraham were to be fulfilled in the empire Of King David. Now that doesn't necessarily mean. By King David. But in his. Family or dynasty. Okay. Now. A little later. The Eloists, Which was a group up. In the northern. Part in Israel. Written after the 10th century BC. Most likely in the northern kingdom. Uses Elohim instead of Yahweh, for God's name. Stresses the role of the prophet, contains strong tone of challenge and stresses on morality. Emphasizes the role of Jacob and the significance of northern kingdom ideas and places. Northern tradition, reflecting anti-Jerusalem view. Anti-Jerusalem view was that it was David, King David, who made Jerusalem the center of all Judaism. Not God, not anyone else. It was King David. In fact, he ruled in a small town called Hebron uh, for a number of years before conquering and settling his center of authority in Jerusalem. And changed the name what was Jerusalem's name before? Jerusalem. Anyone know? Salem. Salem. Yes. And <coughs> Jerusalem actually means going up. Going up to Salem. Okay. The going up is, I'll explain that at, at another time. The purpose of the Elohim group was after the division of the kingdom. Remember, After Solomon's death Israel was divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern called Israel and the southern called Judah. This version was written to provide the north's account in opposition to the southern account the Yahweh's of their histories. But since they all came from a basic beginning, that is Jacob and his 12 sons, many of them had similar experiences, sim- similar histories. And that is why you have a duplication of stories in the early part of the Old Testament. You have a duplication of the creation story, you have a duplication of several different events in the Old Testament because the writer who put all this together eventually in the 5th century B.C. said, well, this part is good. Well, this part is good too. So let's put them both in. Well, sometimes that creates confusion. Now, the priestly class. The priestly class is much different. Came along uh, much later. Uh, Really, it started offhand in one very meekly uh, as um, you might say ministers of, of the temple in the 8th and the 7th century BC but didn't really come into prominence until the Babylonian captivity and more so afterwards because after the captivity there were no longer any strong national rulers of Israel because they were under the dominance of the Persians and the Greeks, and then eventually the Romans. So the priestly class became actually the ruling class of the Jewish people, from the time of the Babylonian captivity on to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Now, the Deuteronomists are entirely different They also came from the northern uh, territory of Israel. But they came together for a different reason and their style was also different. What they did was they took, because of the the apostasy uh, of the Jewish people, that is the turning away from the teachings of Moses and gradually absorbing many of the pagan uh, beliefs and worship of pagan gods, particularly through the efforts of King Ahab's wife, Jezebel. Uh, you remember Jezebel was, and there's been many songs, in fact there was an old movie uh, made, had nothing to do with uh, the Jewish religion, but the lead character was Named Jezebel, and she was uh, a sad case. Okay, Deuteronomy was written to bring all of the teachings of Moses, all of the sayings of Moses together, as well as all of those religious uh, rituals and laws, etc. That grew up since then, and... It was to rewrite them as if they all came out of the mouth of Moses. And it was written to encourage the people to return the teachings, the basic teachings of Moses. But it was rejected by the northern people. In fact, the writers were pretty much persecuted because they didn't like what was said. They didn't like what they were told to do. But somebody from the north when it was finally overcome by the Assyrians in eight or no, 722 BC uh, escaped to the south and brought a copy of the book of Deuteronomy or as much as was written at that time to the south and tried to get uh, the people there to follow it but it wasn't accepted there either eventually it was secretly hidden in the wall of the um, temple and it wasn't until the time of King Hezekiah of the south ordered some repair work to be done that it was found about 50 years later and, oh, it became a bestseller, you might say, at that time. Uh, and it was also then taken to Babylon in the 5th century or 6th, 6th century BC. Okay. Where it became the source of modern Judaism today. The basic source of modern Judaism came out of the book of Deuteronomy, which contained most of the laws, some were added after to a total of 613 ritual laws that they must obey. So that's how the writings of the Old Testament began. But that's not the end of it. The one thing that made their writings different from modern day history is that if the later group didn't like what was said previous, they go in and change it. Accuracy in writing history at that time period was not as important as telling a story, of telling somebody something that was important to them. So, like I said, if a later group didn't like what an earlier group said, eh, change it. It wasn't until the priestly class took real control of all Judaism and after the Babylonian captivity the two, uh, the north and the south were sort of not reunited but there was no division because there was no kings. (laughs) The priestly class took control and we believe that the priest Ezra we're not sure we believe that the priest Ezra began a whole series of pulling these four areas of writing, these four groups of writing, together to put them into a unified form, which is called the Hebrew Scriptures. And it was this particular group who set up what we recognize today as the Hebrew scriptures. Now, Dick asked a question earlier about books that we added. Well, we didn't add them. After the Babylonian captivity, or actually before when uh, uh, the, the king of Babylon was trying to uh, conquer Jerusalem. It took them roughly ten years to do that. Not ten years constantly, but over a period of ten years. Anyways, there was a a dispersion of people to all different parts of the world, particularly North Africa and eastward, uh, and northeastward I should say also. So in the second century B.C., Many of those people by that time did not speak Hebrew any longer and lost many of the understandings and appreciation for the uh, importance of the Jewish traditions. So Ezra brought all of these things together and created the Old Hebrew scriptures. But these people in in all of these foreign countries wanted the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek, which is the common language of all of these other countries. And so a group was set up and 70 men or 72 men there was always a question between the 70 and the 72. Let's say 72 because 12 times 6 is 72. And it was 6 people from each of those 12 tribes, which still could be identified roughly, uh, were brought together in the foreign countries to re- rewrite the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Greek. And that became the Septuagint. The word Septuagint comes from the word of 70. Okay. And that is the form of the Old Testament that Catholics use today. Now, the difference between the Hebrew scriptures and the Septuagint was the Septuagint added six books of the Old Testament, six books, I should say, that were not in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay. One and two Maccabees, Tobit, Esther, uh, uh, I always I forget, but anyways, there's about six books that are in the Septuagint that are not in the Hebrew Scriptures. All right. Let's jump all the way now to the 15th century A.D., when Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church, he wanted to break away from a lot of the traditional Catholic things. And so he went back and adopted the Hebrew Scriptures. And that is the one that is used in Protestant Bibles. But Catholic and other Christian denominations will use the Hebrew I mean the, the Septuagint version of the Old Testament which contain these six books okay and that's how let's say chapters 12 and 13 11 12 and 13 of the book of Daniel are not in the Hebrew scriptures but they are in the Septuagint version of the same book Yeah, you, know, you have little things like that uh Quite often, I've heard people say, well, why did Catholics add these? Well, Catholics didn't. They were in the Jewish from the second century uh, B.C. Okay, That's as far as I want to go with that. If you have questions, we'll get to that a little later. Another thing that I, I really want to get uh, to talk about... As I briefly mentioned this before, is the idea that the Old Testament and the Jewish people, then and to some degree still, not all, but some degree still, have no concept of God and his personal relationship to mankind, to individuals. Everything, you know, they worship God in many ways with sincerity. But they worship him somewhat like, yeah, we know he's in heaven, we know he's a, a Holy Spirit, and we worship him. But there's no relationship.
1: Would it be more like worshiping the king?
0: Uh, yes, in a way. They're like worshipping the king or, or the queen. Jew, yeah. goodness. Yeah. Not that uh, there's no personal relationship, but there is a great deal of honor and pomp and sort ceremony and respect, of course. Yeah. And the Orthodox Jews, uh, from those of you who have been in the East, particularly in, in New York, uh, you will see the Hasidic Jews, these are the men that walk around with the long black uh, coat on and the hat, even when it's 90 degrees outside, uh, and they often have curls on their uh, black hair and beards. They do not shave. These are Orthodox Jews of the strictest uh, degree, and uh, they follow that, but they do not believe in heaven. They do not believe in the hereafter. Yes, Madge? I
1: have a uh, couple questions. Uh, i seen a Jewish wedding on TV, and the man wore a look like a white robe or something. Or, uh, robe, I don't know, something around his neck.
0: A prayer shawl. Oh,
1: that's a prayer shawl. What's
0: for? Well, that's just to let people know they're praying. Okay. See, they're very demonstrative. They like people to know what they're doing.
1: And then they stepped on some glasses. Oh.
0: That's a Jewish wedding tradition. Yes, that is not a religious. That is a custom of history, but not part of their religion. All right. They also get married under a tent. So there's a name for it. I forgot what it is. Carried by people on four poles. I've
1: always been curious about them, but
0: you know. Well, that's that's just part of their tradition. You got to separate tradition from their religion. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So you got to keep in mind as you read Old Testament history that they had very little concept of the spirit. Paul, Saint Paul, re- refers to this in both First uh, Corinthians and the Book of Romans. Paul refers to the flesh versus the spirit. He uses the word flesh. I prefer to use either, you know, the corporal idea that is man and earth and existence of things on earth that can be seen, felt and touched and so forth versus the spirit. And that is the whole concept that, uh, we have to be aware of when we are reading Old Testament history. They feel that they're getting their just reward here on earth by the question that Jim just asked is if the Hasidic Jews or those who are strict orthodox do not believe in heaven what's the purpose of their working here on earth well I hate to put it this way but the Jewish people have always been known to be very materialistic and that isn't a greedy thing it is part of their faith. They figure if they don't get it in another world, which they won't because they don't believe in another world, they've got to get it here on earth. Right? And so you don't find any Jewish poor people. You never find a Jewish person in uh, a bread line or at a soup kitchen. Uh, you, you know, there's a great deal of generosity among Jewish people. In fact, um, yeah, yeah, there's there, and I'm going to give you, uh, not today, but you know, at another time, a, a quotation from a book that I was given to read over the summer. It's a novel, uh, about a Christian man who donates an eight million dollar inheritance. Uh, to a Jewish synagogue, and you have all of these people fighting against each other as to claiming this, and they can't figure out why. Why? Well, the writer of the book puts a very interesting sentence or a paragraph in there on the understanding of Jewish thought today, and I'll bring that in next week. I don't have it with me. Okay. Any other questions? I hope, Jim, that I answered your question. All right. Uh, yes, Connie? Um, yes. All uh, right. Yes. The homework is in the handout that I gave you. All right. It's on the reverse side of today's agenda. Okay. Now, there, just a moment. There's going to be a lot of reading, but it'll all be from your own Bibles. If you don't have, if you don't have a Bible, or if you want to buy a new one, this is the only one that I really recommend. Remember, all Bibles are good. Somebody asked me, what's a good Bible? And I thought, well, that's a you know, contradiction in itself. But this is, this is probably the best Let's see, New American Bible, but the Catholic Study Bible, underword, underline study, the Catholic Study Bible. Is that a newer version than this one? This is old This is old, too, so, yeah. Um, but yours doesn't say Study Bible. No, it
1: doesn't.
0: No. St. Joseph's edition. Yeah, well... That See, this is would be newer than that. Yeah, the Study Bible. It has about 600 pages of stuff in addition to the Bible that explains a lot of it. So it is a wonderful, wonderful uh, book to use, a great tool. In fact, I have a lot of other books up here that I've used for this course, not just the Bible. I've gone into a lot of work using other books, and I've brought samples of them up here. I'm not saying that I read every single one of these in every word, but I've looked them over and taken out a lot of information from them, which I will share with you over the next 10 weeks. Any other questions? Yes. No, not yet. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Judaism in itself is confusing if you try to understand it, you know, in one fell swoop. But be patient. I will get those, get it clearer to you later on as we go along. Okay. Uh, Yes, Madge? Why do
1: a lot of Jewish people change their name?
0: Uh, you have to give me an example.
1: Well, my son-in-law, his last name is K, but they changed it. Some, uh, I don't know what his other name was because I was embarrassed to ask him. Oh, well,
0: uh-huh. you know, during I the...
1: McKay, not I I don't know, but they changed it to
0: K. During Second World War, many Jewish people changed their name to something that was less Jewish yeah, okay. in order to escape Nazism. And many people felt that they were, uh, yeah. And why is it a
1: lot
0: of places wouldn't
1: let Jewish people in, like golf clubs? And well, places?
0: there there was a lot of bias, a lot of bias against that. Now, yeah. and there's still some of that. Quiet, 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 quiet. Please, please. Well, they they actually yes. Now, this is a very important statement. And this lady brings up the fact that when you read the Old Testament, it appears that there is a great deal of love and relationship between God and mankind. That is not really the case. You've got to remember that all of the prophets were murdered by their own people because they didn't like what the prophets said. You see, so... Much of their writings remain, but unfortunately the people at that time that they were written did not accept them. And you had a great deal of that throughout the Old Testament history, two thousand years. Yeah. So you got, you know, you got to take that with somewhat of a grain of salt. The, the writer is trying to get people to look at it this way, but most of those writings were not accepted.
1: Oh, no, in the Moses. Yeah, I mean, how about God, Moses? He had a he been King. like Moses had a relationship. In, in, in and in
0: relationship. also Abraham being all that. Yes, and that was for a reason. Yes, the statement here is that Moses and David and Abraham had great relationships with God. And that was because they were key players in this plan. And God had to use them But remember each of them defy God also. Yes we do. Yes we do. But you know uh, they all had their own doubts and their own weaknesses. Okay, but God uses you know ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And you'll see that throughout the Old Testament.
1: Next year is September
0: 21, right? Not 20. It's a week from today, whatever that is. 21. Yes, did I get what I? Not
1: 20.
0: Oh, I got a fire that typist. <laughs>
1: yeah. 20, 20, 20,
0: All right, you're right. Okay, I'm. I stand corrected. Yeah. Is the first mistake I've ever made.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. All right. Any other questions? Uh, I hope you got something out of this. Okay. But remember, it's still confusing, I'm sure, to a lot of you. But this is just the beginning.
1: <laughs> it will get. I believe the right? <laughs> What's that? Canaan. He's the promised land.
0: Yes, that was its name prior to Israel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit on us all. Because right now I'm sure that we've got a hundred people that are going to leave here all with confused minds and hearts. <laughs> But well, that's all right. That's part of your plan, too, and mine. Uh, because sometimes we have to start at the beginning uh, whenever we want to really understand the basis for something later. So we ask your blessing on our efforts, not only today, but throughout this course, to truly understand all of the writings and the lectures that we will be giving. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name.